The following is a presentation of Snake Tree Media. This is Pop Retro, a podcast devoted to pop culture. Now, here are your hosts, Patrick and Mike Gross. Greetings and salutations, people of Earth. I am Patrick Gross. And I'm Mike Gross. And this is Pop Retro. We are back. We're going to try this again, ladies and gentlemen. And, of course, it, it, it almost feels like we are back where it all began because wasn't our first episode a Christmas episode? Uh, no, actually, it was a Halloween episode. Anyway, here we are. Another Christmas. This is our second Christmas episode, I guess. And we look... We know, again, we know we are uh, intermittent at best, but just know that our hearts are in the right place. And look, we're not trying to be bazillionaires here. I mean, if there's somebody out there and you got a bazillion dollars and you'd like to share it with us. But anyway, uh, we know that we've been intermittent. We've got a very good excuse for all of that, but we are going to try to make 2022, we're going to try to make this a a, uh, focus and a priority and all this other stuff. But since it is Christmas, as you can tell by the Holly and the Jolly intro there, of course, that is the late, great Burl Ives. And oddly enough, it has almost everything to do with what we're getting ready to talk about. We're going to talk about something in this episode that, and we've looked, there's not a whole lot of stuff out there. There's a few YouTube videos and some stuff like that, but there's not too many podcasts that I've seen. I'm not saying there are none. I'm just saying I haven't been able to find a lot of stuff about this, but we're going to talk about Rankin Bass Animated Entertainment. Now, you're scratching your head going, who is this? What what is he talking about? What does it have to do with Christmas? And and what does it have to do with Christmas? Well, you're about to find out that this might be one of the most influential animation studios, production studios in America, and you probably have no idea who they are or what they represent, Uh, but we're going to try to get into that, and we're going to try to unravel the mystery behind Rankin Bass Animated Entertainment. Now, you don't have to look far to find the influence of Rankin Bass. Well, I guess... Should we start with like the before we start unraveling like all of the stuff that because they've done like a pile of stuff? I guess we should give a little background, a little history on who Rankin Bass is. Is that yeah? Right? I think it's a good place to start. So this company was founded in New York City by Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass. Now this happened uh, basically ten years before uh, Mike and I were born on September fourteenth, nineteen sixty, and they started out as Videocraft International Limited. Something that made these guys so special is they didn't just do standard animation. They did, uh, they called it Animagic, and it was stop motion. And, of course, that's an ancient filmmaking animation uh, technology. And when I say ancient, I mean, you know, what, the dawn of uh, the 20th century when film became film. But Ray Harryhausen, of course, he did uh, King Kong. King Kong was like a huge influence for Rankin Bass. Jason and the Argonauts, or is that what it was called? I can't remember. Uh, oh, wow. that, that sounds right. But Maybe it wasn't Jason and the Argonauts. Maybe it was something else. Um, Sinbad and the Seven, I don't know, Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't sound right at all. Uh, anyway, the, the point It's a whole is, other genre. The point is Ray Harryhausen developed this groundbreaking, really, technology. Uh, 
technology at the time, and it's primitive at best, but Rankin Bass brought it back to life. And really, I guess you could argue that had a bit of a, I don't know if you could say that it had a uh, renaissance. I don't know that it had really went anywhere, but films obviously were starting to do things a lot different. And within 10, 15 years, we would have Star Wars and, and thus uh, digital animation started happening. So they had a lot of animation studios. So they did, from the way I understand it, they did some stuff in Japan. Like, does that mean they did anime and things like that? Or I'm not sure. I know a lot of the, a lot of the work happened, animation happened in Japan, but I'm not sure if that had any influence or participation in anime or not. We were talking about, you know, reading the history of this company. And one of their first projects was uh, The New Adventures of Pinocchio. And it featured the quote unquote animagic stop motion animation process, but they used puppets and stuff. This was like early 60s. Now, this is where the Christmas part of this story begins. It wasn't until, I guess it was NBC. I want to say it was NBC. Yeah, it was NBC. So, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which if you haven't watched Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, I feel like that we are obligated by law to stop the podcast right now and insist that everybody goes out and watches. Do you know anybody that's never seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Uh, no, not that I've ever talked to, no. And I don't know that I would care to talk to anybody that hasn't seen it. <laughs> uh, we don't even realize how influential this thing has been. It has been referenced in pop culture dozens and dozens and dozens of times. In fact, within the last 20 years, it has influenced a new classic holiday film that we'll talk about in a second. We've seen a variety of different homages to this film. But Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was produced by Rankin Bass in 1964. And NBC picked him up. I can't remember exactly how the story goes. Uh, I know that General Electric was, I, I guess General Electric, does General Electric still own NBC? I don't know. Disney probably owns them because Disney yeah, owns, owns everything. Don't look now, but Disney probably owns this podcast. Yeah, sir, sir, I think I got an email from them yesterday. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so obviously we're, we're just piecing all this together, but I know that Mike and I growing up, this is one of the touchstones. And I think that's really the magic of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Now, obviously, we're going to go over some of the others, but I figure let's just start with Rudolph because that's where I think everybody... I think everybody has seen that show. That's that was my point at the top here. I guarantee everyone's seen it, even though they didn't realize, you know, who it was by or anything like that. I mean, I'm sure everyone has, has seen it. And we were talking about, you know, just the just the star power in these Rankin Bass specials and in Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer alone, uh, you had Burl Ives. Uh, and then you had um that's pretty much it. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, maybe talk about the history of Rudolph himself, just to kind of set the background a little bit. And also, it does kind of tie into you know the story about Rankin Bass. Uh, for those who don't know, Rudolph came about in 1939. Robert Louis May, was he was an ad guy for Montgomery Ward. So he was asked to write a story for coloring books uh, that they'd give away at Christmas time. And, of course, it wasn't until a few years later that um, his brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, he adapted the story into the song and uh, performed by Gene Autry in 1949 originally. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen, but do you recall 
the most famous reindeer of all. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games. Then one foggy Christmas Eve. Which is pretty Saturday amazing, and it's also amazing. I could be wrong about this, but that was actually a number one song in the U.S., the week of Christmas in 49. And I think that was the first Christmas song to hold that distinction. Like, I think that's the first, uh, I, I don't want to call it a crossover hit, but you could argue that that was a crossover hit. And, and I would imagine mainly because it was Gene Autry. I mean, at one time, I mean, that guy was, well, he was Gene Autry. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But I love that. You have no idea. And they even start off that song. They basically name all of the other reindeer, and they basically point out the hate, but they forgot a reindeer. And so I don't know if that means like after the foggy night, does that mean Rudolph retired or he got a, you know, he got a, an A-frame in, in Boulder, Colorado, <laughs> with, uh, what's the name? And, and they used him for what they need him for and then he became a... <laughs> he became a legend. Honestly, there's so much material on Rudolph alone, which I was actually kind of surprised. Uh, just Rudolph in pop culture... I would argue is, I wouldn't say, obviously, and we've talked about Santa Claus before, he's he's not as a big deal as Santa Claus, obviously, but Rudolph is probably the next guy in line as far as, like, he's, is it fair to say Rudolph is the most uh, famous reindeer of all? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment for sure. That's a claim that we can confirm for all my Letterkenny fans out there. So we were talking about, like, just the influence Rudolph has chuck berry uh, one of the biggest classic christmas songs is chuck berry's run rudolph run or run run rudolph depending on who's talking about it and this is kind of cool obviously he was credited for writing the song because chuck berry but subsequent releases of the song often give mark's songwriting credit really i think that's pretty cool that's fair yeah as a songwriter i stand behind that decision but you're right it, it, it's good to understand the genesis of this character we were also talking about the star power in these shows. And uh, so Rudolph starred Burl Ives. Now, to us, we don't care anything about Burl Ives. And I say that with all due respect in context, so no angry emails. <laughs> but all I'm saying is Burl Ives uh, in culture right this second. He's not relevant other than the fact that he voiced Sam the Snowman in uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. At the time, though, in 1964, Burl Ives was a, a movie star. He he was a folk singer. Uh, he had, I don't know, he's done like 10 records or something like that. But Rankin Bass, they seem to have a knack for that. Their last Christmas thing was uh, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, which is kind of a Lord of the Rings fantasy kind of thing. I've never seen it, but last Christmas thing they did, and then also did an adaptation of The Hobbit. Interesting. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I, I remember uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. That's when we discovered that Santa was a ginger, and it kind of freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> uh, he he did. He looked like Conan O'Brien. Like young Santa Claus looked like Conan O'Brien. And if you don't believe me, go watch it right now, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, in Santa Claus is coming to town, that's another good example of star power. You had Mickey Rooney, who did uh, Chris Kringle's voice. 
And he also, uh, Fred Astaire, he was Special Delivery Kluger, or SD Kluger. And again, right now, Fred Astaire doesn't mean much to anybody, any young person out there listening, but at the time, Fred Astaire was world famous. And you know what? I just remembered that that is the episode with the Burger Meister Meister Burger. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, a toy? As I suspected, I hate is that heat miser and what is it snow miser and and or no cold miser and heat miser is that santa claus is coming to town that sounds right Gregory. uh this lots of stuff seen that hmm. anyway rudolph the red-nosed reindeer again the influence on just that alone we've seen i know that uh, i love the show it's always sunny in, in philadelphia well they did an entire episode i think that was stop motion and even Robot Chicken, I know that sounds ridiculous, but if you've never seen Robot Chicken, it's basically the same type of animagic stop-motion animation. And it's good to see that somebody's still trying to do that, because I assure you, I would imagine that's like just murder. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I'd have the patience to sit there and do that like that. And uh, and and so stop-motion animation, the idea is you just take photos and frames and you move the guy like a millimeter and then you take another photo and then you move them again and can you imagine how long it must have taken to do like just a 30 minute episode right i mean most films are recorded in around 26 30 frames per second so you think about one move, little movement per frame uh, just for a second of film. And not only that, but to be able to, I mean, obviously this plays into character design, this plays into writing, this plays into uh, musical composition, but the entire recipe for these shows, it seems like it would take longer or, or it would cost more to make one of these shows instead of just having a room full of people hand draw this stuff. And and that might be true, but I think what the magic of, of these specials by Rankin Bass is, is they're able to capture this innocence, this, uh, this sweetness, uh, a, like a true, like how do you make people care about these stop motion puppets? And uh, it's a combination of great voice talent and great music and great everything uh, to be able to put it together. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun too, but again, how do you make how do you make people care about animated characters? And how has Rudolph or Rankin Bass in particular? How has that become? Do you think how has that become such a holiday fixture, especially in America? Oh wow! I mean, I think just kind of a number of things. For um, I mean, in the past, we've talked about how MTV had you know was such a factor in the '80s and a lot of things really booming. I think probably maybe, I mean, I'm just guessing here. I don't know. Just as more and more families own televisions and this new way of animation. So just kind of a perfect storm of, you know, people were looking for these things. And I think just it just hit at the right time and people fell in love with it and uh, became uh, just part of their holiday uh, celebrations and just been passed down from generation to generation. I assume that affects pop culture, but I guess there's even a, like, you know, there's popular culture, but then there's familial culture. Like we see that in uh, different parts of our lives. Like, like we have things that become, you know, it's like, well, we go to the lake and barbecue every uh, 4th of July. And then, you know, when, when that family ages on and, and the, 
mother and father pass away or whatever, then the kids will keep that alive. And before you know it, generations and generations of this family are going to the lake on 4th of July, just like my great grandfather did. You know what I mean? And I exactly. Get, and I guess that's what you're getting at is like, we live in a world now where there are 4 billion Christmas specials. Like, Everybody has done a Christmas special at this point. Everybody has done some version of Santa Claus, Santa Claus falling in love, Santa Claus, you know, saves the planet. Uh, I think there's uh, so many specials that they aren't very special anymore. I don't know about you, but I, I love Will Ferrell. I, I, I know a lot of people, you know, he's like, oh, he's one trick pony, blah, blah, blah. But the absurdity of, of some of the characters that he puts together and puts on film, it's just crazy. But without question, I think my favorite performance by him has to be Elf. Again, I call it a new Christmas classic because that movie, I can't even remember what year that movie came out. 2004 seems right, but maybe 2003. So almost 20 years, 19 years ago, 18 years ago. Am I doing the wrong math? <laughs> I'm terrible at math. Look, when I say I think that film is an instant classic film, I believe it. First of all, and I don't want to, again, I, nobody at me about what I'm about to say, but I, I mean what I'm about to say. I think John Favreau might be the most influential filmmaker of this generation. Dude, that's for real. I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, just think about all that he's involved with. I mean, to me, John Favreau has reinvented everything. He has simplified CGI. He has simplified work environments. He has taken technology. He's taken gaming technology and he's used it to make films. And they're basically using their own engines now, which again, if you don't know anything about that, then it's not important. But my point is John Favreau, maybe we'll do an entire episode on John Favreau at some point. But I think John Favreau is one of the most influential filmmakers of this generation. And one small part of that is his creation of Elf. Uh, he took everything that we remember about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Rankin-Bass specifically, and he recreated it with this character that was either going to be, because think about it, like Buddy was either going to be bananas and a maniac or he was going, there was going to be some kind of sweetness about him. And that is, to me, that's the genius of, well, Will Ferrell and John Favreau and the writers and the actors and stuff like that. But the crazy thing about Elf, like if you sit back and you look at it, first of all, if you've seen Elf, then you know the first 30 minutes of the film, or at least the first 20 minutes of the film, is basically not a reboot, but definitely a hard homage to mm -hmm. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But here's the bananas thing, and you and I were talking about this before the uh, we started recording, but Elf almost didn't happen because John Favreau's number one rule on the set was, we have to make this look like a Rankin-Bass production. So you can see the influence of it, but then all of a sudden they get close to the end of the production of this, at least this part of it, and they're looking at the costuming and then looking at the scenery, and then they realize, wow, did we just, I think we just ripped off. Like <laughs> Uh, so, and ultimately this, and I, if you want to see, uh, if you get a chance, watch the series on Netflix and it's called uh, the movies that made us. Well, they have a special set of these movies, the holiday movies that made us. And there's a whole, it fleshes out this entire story. And it's, it's really interesting if you want to learn about it, but lawyers got involved in this thing and 
uh, ultimately, I think what had happened is they had to shoot two different versions of Will in the suit. Like he had a blue suit, I think, and then a green suit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why a lot of the elves that are not Will ended up in blue suits. I could be wrong about that, too. But I, you have to go back and watch the episode. Anyway, I mean, can you imagine that after you go through all of this stuff? I mean, we were just talking about how time-consuming it would be to do stop motion. Well, they basically had the first half of this movie done already. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, we might not be able to do this. And my point of all that is to say, if you want to check out a really good story, watch the Netflix special. But also, it's just another way that Rankin Bass will live on for the, for the next generation. Are you asleep? <laughs> no. Sorry, I didn't realize you were uh, finished with your thought there. <laughs> I, didn't I, wanna, I, I didn't want to talk over you. There. See, I, I thought I gave I, I thought I gave it to John F. Kennedy. I'm done speaking now. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I thought you did, but I just want to make sure. And, you know, with all that being said, uh, I do have an unpopular uh, uh, opinion about Rudolph. Uh-oh. I mean, obviously, huge influence, uh, even on class. You know, I agree, Elf is going to be a classic for years as well. Um, but as much as Rudolph played a part in our childhood growing up, I find it somewhat disturbing. You f- Okay. I Look, man. And first of all, I just want everybody to know, we did not talk about this before <laughs> before we started recording. So this is going to be uh, as enlightening to me as it is to everybody out there. So please, Mike, go ahead. All right. So for those who don't know, uh, maybe you have not seen it or maybe just never pay attention because at the time it was just, this was what we did. This is how we celebrated, you know, the, our Christmas season, you know, school's out. Let's, let's watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And, but you... <sighs> Just thinking about there's this, uh, you know, Rudolph, who obviously we know from the song that he's not very popular. Uh, but the fact that, you know, we have the uh, Hermie, the elf, who is not happy um, being an elf, making toys and whatnot. So he wants to be a dentist. And so he wants to be a dentist. <laughs> so we have this place, you know, this picture of the North Pole where, uh, you know, the elves, you assume, are supposed to be happy and just singing and playing and built, making toys. And you have this elf that's miserable and who um, wants to be a dentist. So I don't know. So just the different aspects of that, it just makes it seem like, you know, okay, we have the story is basically saying that, you know, if you're different, you don't belong in the North Pole. <laughs> I know it's not probably the intention, but that's kind of the vibe I get from it. So I don't know. It just always in you know the, the abdominal abominable snowman. I can't abdominal anyway. Um, just always kind of creeped me out as well. So I guess maybe that played a part in that. I think I know what you're talking about, and ultimately, I, I assume that it was like super inclusion, like. We have to include every trope or every personality type or because, I mean, well, first of all, in, in the real world, and you can quote me on this, Yukon Cornelius is a madman. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can tell he spent way too much time uh, in the frozen wilderness or whatever you call it uh, by himself. It's like, hey, dude, settle down just a little bit. You, uh, Let's take it down to about 20% on the pickaxe there, buddy. Yeah, I mean, again, if you've not seen it, um, <laughs> he, he licks the pickaxe like repeatedly 
a minor thing that's it's not really made a thing of, but if you see that, he does that, and it just, why? And there's so. a copious amount of, if I may, there's a copious amount of hooting and hollering going on, <laughs> which I, I definitely didn't understand that. It's like, it's kind of like uh, the whole quicksand thing. I always thought quicksand was going to be a bigger problem in my life. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and so it's like, I just always assume that I should carry a pickaxe around with me just in case. But uh, not, not going to the beach or in the jungle and staying away from sand. But yeah, so I mean, it, it's still a, a good movie. Like I said, a huge influence on this culture especially christmas culture you know great memories watching it and still i mean i can watch it and find enjoyment in it so if you've not seen it please by all means check it out and uh, I, I, again it may just been that i was creeped out by uh, uh what was the, oh, the bumble? bumble bumble the bumble yeah and s- same thing with um, the wizard of oz the monkeys always scared me so i just never really liked it but as an adult i do enjoy it now so probably just a me thing um i I have learned so much about you in the last 10 minutes uh (laughs) and i just gotta say this is uh this explains a lot though i i I gotta say this explains a lot Uh, of course uh rankin bass did a lot more than rudolph as we said they actually went on to do all kinds of cool things like we pointed out that they had done the hobbit they did a willie may special uh the girl in wonderland they did uh easter specials they started doing like peter cottontail I think, and uh, The Year Without a Santa Claus. They, that was another one. I'm sitting there looking at this list. It's like The Ballad of Smokey the Bear, Willie McBean and His Magic Machine. Oh, see, that's a na- that's a band name right there waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting there just going on and on. It, it, they were always busy. They had their hands in something. They they did the King Kong show in 66. In they did the Jackson 5 cartoon, I guess, in 1971. And they did that uh, with Motown. So they actually worked with Motown on that. Thundercats. Thundercats are go. And The Sins of Dorian Gray. (laughs) Today on Sophisticated Theater. (laughs) (laughs) It's an episode of the Rankin Bass production of The Sins of Dorian Gray. Uh, They basically shut their company down in 1987 on March 4th. Arthur Rankin Jr., he died at Harrington Sound, Bermuda, in 2014 at 89. Mm. He had become a vegetarian. All kind of, He wrote uh, Herb the Vegetarian Dragon, which is interesting. That's like the first uh, children book character developed specifically to explore the moral issues related to vegetarianism. Mm. Yeah, imagine the, the Bumble's life, how different it would have been. <laughs> anyway, so there you go, man. Uh, Rankin Bass. If you've never checked out Rankin Bass, and they do have, obviously, again, they have a long list of holiday specials and non-Christmas holiday specials. So go check them out. They have influenced your life, whether you realize it or not, and they're still influencing TV shows, uh, animated or otherwise, and you should check it out. Please do that. Yes, absolutely. And also, please network with us on the appropriate spots. Uh, where can they network with us? Pop Retro Podcasts on uh, Instagram and uh, on the internet, popretropodcast.com. And we will wrap things up by wishing everybody out there a very happy holidays a very merry christmas and of course a very prosperous and happy new year 
Uh, and of course, before we go, we want to thank everybody for all your support and all your messages. And, and for I, I don't even understand why people are still trying to listen to us, but I'm glad that they are, including but not limited to a friend of ours from high school. Diane, thank you so much. Thank for, you. Thank for, you. Thank you. Yeah, that's really awesome, man. We really do appreciate that. Anyway, we got to go. I'm Patrick Gross. And I'm Mike Gross. And this is Pop Retro. Thanks for listening, everybody. Pop Retro is a presentation of Snake Tree Media. Network with the Pop Retro Podcast by visiting popretropodcast.com. No robots were harmed in the making of this podcast. You know what? Screw you guys. All right? Screw Frosty. Screw Vince Giraldi. Screw both Rankin and Bass. Well, I'm with them on Rankin, but come on. What did Bass do? (laughs) 